The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good morning. Good. After, almost afternoon. Um, so I wanted to talk just a little bit about uh, concepts. And um, Buddhism has uh, a whole bunch of lists. And each one of this, those is like a you know, whole concept in itself. We've got the Four Noble Truth, uh, the Eightfold Path, the Five Hindrances, the Five Faculties, Seven Factors of Awakening. There's like all these different lists. You know? And um, some people practice, they have a regular practice, and they don't consider those too much. And other people really engage deeply with those concepts. Um, but in some ways, you know, the practice can be very, very simple, you know, and uh, it doesn't necessarily need, you don't need to know all those lists to work with, uh, with your practice. Um, but the concepts are useful. Uh, for instance, you know, you may get in a place when you're um, in your practice where you kind of get stuck with something, and so you start working with the five hindrances, and, and you can address that because you look at it from a different angle. You know, you might be watching the breath day in, day out, and you're doing, you know, you're doing okay, but then you just feel kind of a little bit stuck, and you start noticing, okay, how's my, um, is there something I want to happen here? You know, am I desiring something? Um, you know, the five hindrances are desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness, uh, or maybe you're just being really restless around the breath. So it gives you a chance to look at them from a different perspective. Um, but where I'm going with this is that concepts are still just concepts. And so, for instance, one of the lists we talk about is uh, the, three, um, uh, the three poisons. They're like the roots for all the things inside us uh, that are harmless. And the roots are greed, hatred, and delusion. And so, for instance, let's say um, maybe you're going to work and you're stuck in traffic. And, um, you know, you just turn on the radio, right? You know, and uh, maybe you were impatient. Maybe you were bored. And so you didn't like the way you felt. So what got you to to turn on the radio was the fact that you didn't like how you were feeling or aversion. Another way of looking at it is that here you are driving and you go, God, I want to feel something good. You know, so I want, I want something that's interesting and perks me up. So desire is what motivates you to turn on the radio. Now, you're turning on the radio, but, you know, one hand you're doing it from trying to push your experience away, and another one is because you want something. And, and maybe you turn on the radio totally oblivious to anything that's going on, and that's called delusion now. You're just kind of turning it on without really knowing anything that's happening inside you. Um, so, you know, I call that the, the greed, hatred, and delusion are the three sides of the same coin. Uh, so, you know, desire and aversion are two sides, and then delusion's, you know, kind of the rim of the coin. Yeah. Um, so it's not important to figure out which is it. There isn't a right answer. Is it greed? Is it aversion? It doesn't really matter. What really matters is what's useful. Um, you know, in Buddhism, you know, the concepts that we use in practice are not meant to be something absolute to believe in. They're really meant to be useful. The purpose of the concepts that we use in practice are to relieve ourselves of suffering, to free ourselves. 
And so if, if a concept isn't doing that, the Buddha said, don't, you know, just let it go. You don't need it. Um, and this time of year, oh, okay, um, this time of year, people, you know, a lot of people get together with family uh, they haven't seen for a long time, relatives. And one of the things that happens a lot is that you get together with people that um, often there's somebody uh, at these events that we have difficulty with. It seems to be kind of semi-universal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and somebody who has different political views, different religious views, uh, different views about how you're living your life. Um, so all these different type of conflicts that seem to arise at these uh, end-of-the-year wonderful, joyous celebrations sometimes, and also sometimes very difficult family dynamics or friends and relatives. And, but what's really happening at those difficulties is really the same thing. It's about concepts. You know, you take two people and they're talking about politics, you know, and, and somebody's like in the, you know, opposite political spectrum. You know, we're talking about concepts. We're not really talking about uh, something that's in the moment, that's happening in the moment. And often those conversations are actually not very helpful uh, to anybody. It's not, usually you're not going to convince that person who's a very extreme uh, politically in, at, at the other end, you're not going to have some effectiveness by talking to them if you're all caught up in your, own, in your own reactivity to them. And so what's happening in that situation is just uh, clinging to concepts, to our opinions and our views about how things should be. Um, and it's a way of s- something that separates us and causes a lot of pain in these cir- circumstances. Um, religions are basically concepts that we believe, right? And every religion has a concept that they believe is the truth. And every religion has sects that, that say, no, no, my sect is the truth. And so you have just kind of a series, you know, in Buddhism you see the same thing happen. Uh, you know, it started with Theravada Buddhism, the, the uh, Buddhism of the elders, and, um, and then Zen became uh, a sect, Mahayana, then uh, you know Vajrayana, Tibetan Buddhism. So as time went on, they they diversed, and there's a tendency to to make uh, this is the new way, this is the new truth. But the thing that I want to um, point out here is that all those ideas are concepts. None of them are the truth. None of them are reality. Um, they're supposed to be useful. How are they useful? Um, one of the things that, um, uh, that really started me uh, really thinking about practice when I was a child uh, was an experience where I was uh, laying on my balcony and I was looking at the stars at night and you know, millions of stars and you know how a child's mind wanders and I go, well, I wonder which is the farthest star. You know, and I'm looking and, and suddenly I go, well, well that, I wonder if that's the farthest one. And I thought, well, there's got to be something beyond that. What's beyond the farthest star? And, and it just, you know, drove me crazy. <laughs> and, um, and, but it brought me to a place, you know, at that age even, where I just said, you know, there's no way I could ever figure this out. I give up my all. This is not figurable, outable. <laughs> and, um, and it became kind of my reference point. 
you know, and, you know, and over the years I followed science, you know, this, what was the first moment, you know, the Big Bang? Well, what was there before the Big Bang? Where, where did it come from? You know, what's all these ideas of infinity or minds cannot grasp? We're not wired to intellectually understand infinity. And so we think we can understand uh, the purpose of the universe. It's, you know, it's kind of arrogant in a way to think that we've got the concept that explains you know, life and, and, um, and the whole universe. The Buddha actually talked about this. He said, um, and I'll read it to you. He said, speculation of the first moment or the purpose of the universe is an imponderable that is not to be speculated about. Well, whoever speculates about these things would go mad and experience vexation. <laughs> um, so he didn't recommend it. It's not useful. Um, you know, same thing, you know, we talk about self and not self. Is there a self? Is there not a self? You know, he said those questions, you know, uh, a thicket of views, a wilderness of views, a contortion of views, a writhing of views, a fetter of views. So he didn't recommend trying to figure out whether there's a self or not self. Now, there's uh, a lot of teachings on not self. So, um, so the issue is, is not whether there is a self or there is not a self, but how is it useful? How can we use the whole concept of self or not self in a way that frees us? You know, and, and one of the really obvious ways is to say, here's an idea I have that my relatives should act that way. That's just an idea. It's not who I am. It's just an idea. And that's a really useful way to use the idea of self and not self. It's not who I am, that thought, that clinging. Um, over the years, um, you know, my husband and I, you know, we've been together since uh, uh, I was a teenager. And, um, you know, we've, we've entered the practice together. And we read Dharma books over the years. And, and you know, we would always uh, discuss them and really support each other in practice. But, you know, we have very, very different personalities. And, you know, my personality tends to be driven. You know, I, I'm kind of one, one of the people who tends to overcommit. Uh, I tend to do too much and, you know, strive a little too much. He tends to be really laid back and, you know, and, and kind of he can get a little bit complacent. You know, that's his style. And so um, I always remember reading this book. Um, I was very influenced by Krishnamurti early in my practice. Um, and he wrote a book called... Um, the urgency of change. You know, it's basically about the urgency of being in the present moment, because this is the only moment we have. But there was something about the word urgency that really caught me. You know, and, and um, you know, whereas for him, the one that caught him was radical acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a very different way of pointing to the same thing. Their concepts, are they useful? And so the last thing that, that I want to say, you know, is that, um, what, no, one other thing, okay. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho, one of the things he said um, was, if sitting was enough, chickens would be enlightened, okay? So that, it's, it's an interesting uh, idea, you know, it's really about, you know, the effort we put into practice, you know, and then I had uh, another teacher said, um, just sit, Sitting just leaves everything as it is. 
the most effective way of transformation is to leave ourselves alone. So they're both true. They're both true. You know, we want to put effort in practice, and we want to leave everything alone. And they seem opposite. But in a way, it's, how, it's really being able to hold both of those in our, at the same time allows us not to cling to either. Not to say, this is the way. This is what I... This is, the narrowing. It's like, also, this is also. Letting it all be just like it is, and let me do my utmost to bring diligence into my practice. That's the balance. That's how we reach the balance. So the one last thing I want to say as we enter this, um, for, for those of you who uh, are involved in this holiday season, is to maybe hold the question, you know, is there a difference um, in somebody who is really open in their heart because they believe God is in everyone, and somebody who is, has a heart full of compassion because they're not attached to a self. Is there any difference in the heart that's open? It doesn't really matter what the concepts we have are. It just matters that we're open and, and uh, welcoming to whatever shows up in our lives and to whoever shows up in our lives. So thank you all.